You cannot understand America without understanding the South. It's the fastest growing, youngest, and most diverse part of the country. And Southerners are changing the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the food we eat, and the stories we share. I'm John Hammontree, host of The Reckon Interview, and each week I sit down and talk with some of the South's most interesting thinkers and creators. We talk about how this place shaped them and how they're reshaping the South. So go ahead and subscribe to The Reckon Interview, available wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus wreaks havoc in Alabama and across the world, these are the stories of those seeking to survive the disease and its economic strain. So to me, it was just this moment where I was like, there's no way this can happen. It's just, it seems completely impossible. And it seems kind of reckless in a, in a lot of ways. Today, we hear from University of Alabama instructor, Brian Oliu. Born in New Jersey, Brian has taught at UA since 2009 and is the author of several books about Tuscaloosa, his home state of New Jersey, video games, and more. Perhaps above all, Brian is an Alabama football fan. He frequently writes essays about Alabama football for Medium.com, including a recent piece called OLU's Outlook Special Report, I Hate to Break It to You, pondering why a college football season in 2020 might be a bad idea for everyone. That's obviously a devastating prospect for Crimson Tide fans, and even more so to the Tuscaloosa economy, which could suffer severe damage if there is no season. But even though he wants to watch football as much as anyone this year, Brian's chief concern lies with the health and safety of student-athletes and fans as Alabama seeks to contain coronavirus. We talk about the implications of no football this fall, how teaching Alabama players has changed his outlook on the game, and how skipping the season will impact the culture and the mental health of fans in Tuscaloosa. Brian, you love college football, big Alabama fan, big fan of the sport in general, but you say we can't have college football this season. Why? You know, I had this this moment where I was just kind of in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I think I went to Target and I was in Target and I noticed that we didn't have a lot of masks. And I had this this kind of like this big moment of kind of dread that came over me. Uh, at the same time, I left Target and I got into my car and I listened to uh, Paul Feinbaum. And so I had Paul Feinbaum on and he was talking with the commissioner of the ACC, John Swafford. And that was the first time I had heard somebody in a position of power, like, sound scared and sound kind of defeated in an interesting way. You know, he was saying that it wasn't going to look like anything that we thought it was going to look like. He started breaking things down. One of the things I thought was most really interesting about him is he said, look, we're in the ACC. We have to deal with different states. He's like, we have, you know, Syracuse is in the ACC. We got to deal with New York State and we got to deal with, you know, they have teams in Massachusetts, South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, North Carolina. So just like the the mass amount of, of places and travel involved just kind of really threw me for a loop. You know, and he started talking about, well, logistic elements where he was saying, you know, we don't know if you know, a team is going to be able to play, you know, 10 games a season, nine games a season. He's like, we have to anticipate certain teams playing less games than other teams. And it just sounded like 
you know, he was kind of setting us up and saying like, this is more trouble than it's worth. And so that's something I kind of kept coming back to. Um, and the other thing that I, I just kept thinking about is, you know, we have this massive experiment that's going to go down in Orlando with the NBA players. And they're essentially buying in, right? They're, they're multi-millionaires. They have a union. They have all these types of things. And we're anticipating them to be in a bubble, secluded, you know, bringing a couple family members hanging out in Orlando. But we're anticipating the sheer amount of college football players who don't get paid, who are college students, 19, 20, 21, 22, to just go on as if everything is normal. While all these other sporting leagues are taking massive precautions and to go into this. So to me, it was just this moment where I was like, there's no way this can happen. It's just, it seems completely impossible. And it seems kind of reckless in, in a lot of ways. And again, this makes me incredibly sad. And I just kind of decided, well, I'm going to write about this because I, you know, a lot of people haven't really just went out and said it. And I just had a moment where I needed to say it to myself and being a writer, there's a line that Joan Didion has, you don't know what you think until you write it down. And so for me, I was like, well, let me write this thing to kind of discover exactly what I'm trying to say about this thing and how I feel at this particular moment. You also said that you've spent the last three months lying to yourself and convincing yourself that football season can actually happen. So what do you mean by that, that you've been lying to yourself? Because like I said before, you're a big fan. So yeah. this is something that you've had to personally reckon with as somebody who enjoys watching it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not one of those people who's happy that this is happening. I am. I'm very sad about it. And I'm still kind of lying to myself. There's still moments where I'm saying, oh, well, uh, you know, there's a there's a chance I start. I, I'm still picturing like what a game day is on the quad. Like that's that's the thing I enjoy. You know, I go to every every last season, I went to every game, tailgated, all that stuff. And to have that. I can't imagine that void waking up on a Saturday in September, October, and essentially not turning on college game day and having some people make me angry uh, talking about Big Ten football. So it's just I've been trying to kind of reckon with that um, the best that I can. But I'm still, you know, still excited. You know, there's moments where I'll still find myself reading every article about our depth chart, trying to kind of listen to what other teams are doing, um, you know, checking out rankings, things along those lines, you know, so I'm still kind of trying to convince myself that as with anything else, right, we don't really know what this thing's going to look like. So we're trying to think positive constantly um, and that, oh, by football season, it's all going to blow over. But, you know, we said that about Donald Trump said that about Easter, you know, we said that about Memorial Day, we're probably going to say it again about the 4th of July. Uh, and that's unfortunately not how this virus works. So, you know, there's still kind of this idea of magical thinking that's happening that it's going to turn, you know, August 29th, right? I think is the first game. It's a Thursday. Uh, that Thursday, everything's going to be wonderful and fantastic. And I will be at a bar with all my friends watching the beginning of college football season. So I just keep picturing that in my head over and over and over again. But that doesn't mean that it's going to actually happen. You know, I picture a lot of things in my head, uh, hoping that it will happen and it does not. But yeah, no, I'm, it's, it's incredibly sad. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, and I, I don't know kind of what shape or form college football is going to take if they're going to attempt to do anything. I don't know what that's going to look like. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of, 
like I said, just being in that parking lot was kind of this moment of of massive dread that I think has happened a lot during this pandemic is you just have a day where you're overwhelmed by like the world. And that was my, I'm overwhelmed by the world. Plus, oh my God, college football is probably not going to happen. Well, a big emphasis in your piece is the student athlete. And you bring an interesting perspective as an instructor who occasionally teaches Alabama football players. So you often get to know players in a way that casual fans do not. And I wonder, how has that changed the way that you watch the sport and how you feel about the season playing out this year? I mean, especially when we know now that Alabama players and other players have tested positive throughout the country. Yeah, I mean, I am very protective of my students, and it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not. You know, it's exciting, especially to kind of, you know, joke around that if, you know, a player does well, uh, that's in my class, I'd make a joke. It's like, oh, it's because we, you know, I bet you during that touchdown pass, he was thinking about Sylvia Plath, right? Like, you know, he just envisioned these lessons that I had taught him. But yeah, I mean, you get to know these kids on a personal level. And, you know, I think what's so easy for us to do as football fans, college football fans is you know, and it's it's part of the rhetoric is that it's next man up. It is plug and play. If we have a five-star player that doesn't go to class, we can plug in another five-star. If they get hurt, we can put another guy in. You know, we talk so much about, I mean, football is all about systems, right? We talk about, oh, this guy fits the system. Well, these are still kids. I mean, these kids are, again, I said like 18, 19 years old. I usually get them when they're freshmen or sophomores. And, you know, you get to know the kids on a personal level, you know, you read stories, I guess, about them, whether that's in the media or people speculating on Twitter and they're saying, oh, this kid's a head case, whatever. It's like, but I also kind of know what's going on in their lives. And so, you know, it's like, well, no wonder, you know, they didn't play well today because they're 18 or 19 years old and they have all these obligations and stress going on. So it has changed the way I I watch the game. Um, I'm never, I say never, but I, I, I try my best never to be critical of, of the players, right? So I always try to like say, oh, it's the coaching scheme or that play didn't work. I, I try not to, you know, because again, I just, I feel bad about saying, oh, this guy missed a tackle or this guy didn't make a play or, or this guy sucks or things along those lines. Um, and that's really changed just from getting to know so many student athletes. Um, so that's definitely changed the way in which I, I play. Then I know them and they're, you know, they're kids, they're goofballs. They hang out together. They are all you know, especially if you have a bunch of athletes in a class, chances are they go to class together, they hang out together, but they're not just around each other, right? They're, they interact with everyone else. I think the day of the secluded football player that everyone leaves alone is over. You know, all of the students that I've had are usually very personable, chat and talk to other people in the class. And the kids know that they're football players, um, even if they're not playing, they have a certain dress to them, right? They wear their official gear. They all have the backpack. They might have the backpack tag. And so there is a camaraderie there. And I feel like they are very much a part of two worlds, right? They're a part of the football world, but they're also a part of the university community. And to say, okay, you're just a football player right now. You are going to not live essentially in the dorm. I mean, I, I think I mentioned like Notre Dame is putting students up in hotels, right? Like, are they just going to go to a hotel, do their practice, do football, work out and that's it? Are they going to take their classes over Zoom? And in that case, like that is kind of, you know, we're completely pulling the veil off this concept of the student athlete, right? And an amateur athletics. And, you know, that's something that I think I mentioned in the piece where 
I don't know if the NCAA wants that. And they're obviously weighing these concepts, right? You know, if you are all of a sudden forcing all these students to do these things, no matter how much they love football, which they do, at the same time, you could love something to death and still not want to be isolated from your family for four months or five months or isolated from your friends or not go out to a restaurant for all this time. And I think that's just so much to ask of these students. Again, they're young and they're not really getting compensated. And they're just kind of hoping that if you do these things, there's a chance that you're going to go professional or you'll have a great career. At some point, I think that's, you know, you lose focus of that. And you're like, look, I just want to, you know, go to Buffalo Phil's, right? Like, I don't know. So I, I do kind of, I'm fortunate enough to see a lot of the personal elements of these students. Um, and it does, it does it's definitely change kind of the way I watch the game. And of course, the way I think about situations like this. Well, in the piece, you also mentioned how if they allow fans to come to games, for instance, at 25% capacity, that's still upwards of 25,000 people in one place in Bryant-Denny Stadium, just as one example. And you said you went to every game last year. You like to go to the games and sit in the stands. Would you feel safe at a football game this year in that environment? You know, of course, as I'm writing this, I mentioned I do teach and I find this situation very parallel to teaching as a whole. Um, you know, the same way that we're trying to come up with plans to get students back on campus and to teach and to go through all these parameters and having, you know, six to eight students in a classroom that normally fits 35 and all, all of these precautions that are being made. So there's one part of me, uh, and I was talking about this with my friend Robin Hammontree, where she was like, if I have to go do these things, if I have to go to work for school, and put myself at risk every single day. At some point I go from either, I'm either at zero or 10, right? So like right now I'm at zero, I'm staying in my house, I'm not really going out. But if all of a sudden I'm in a situation where I have to be out amongst people, I'm gonna be really mad if I have to go to work every day and put myself at risk and not go to the quad, right? Or like not go to the football game. And so I say no right now, but I, I made the joke if, if all of a sudden a buddy of mine says, hey, I got two tickets for the Georgia game or I got two tickets for the Iron Bowl, and you know, do you wanna go? I'm gonna have a really hard time <laughs> saying no. So I think, and that's one of the other things I kind of get at in the piece is that I, I'm being very hypocritical, right? Like, again, I really, I love college football. I live and breathe it, and I think about it constantly, and I've taken all this media about it, you know, but I've also come to the reckoning, the reckoning that this is not a good idea. But at the same time, there's something pulling me. It's like, well, you know, maybe, you know, if I'm in a box or if I, you know, whatever, or if I get all of section, you know, whatever to myself, you know, I, I could do this thing. But again, I think it comes down to this idea of just like, this is this thing I really want, but it's this thing that's that's not good, right? It's not good for me. So yeah, no, that's that's my own personal reckoning for sure. Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox, he's talked about the economic toll that a canceled football season will have on Tuscaloosa. And that's been a national rallying cry as it relates to the virus. The economy must reopen in spite of coronavirus. So speaking of reckoning, how do you reckon with that as a fan and a Tuscaloosa resident? Yeah, I mean, that's that's always a difficult thing because, you know, anytime you insert money into a situation, that's where everything kind of goes a little haywire. Uh 
You know, I I am. I, I feel for the, those people. You know, I feel for this idea that, of course, I would. It would make a, a massive dent in this. But that's still, what are we sacrificing for that? And that's always been the conversation, I think, about the coronavirus is to say, you know, it's fine if, you know, X amount of people die as long as the economy is running. Well, that sounds, that's awful. And I, I really hate that. And, that, and that one of the conversation I think that, that occurs around that is saying, you know, one of the counterpoints is like, well, you know, if we sacrifice 10 people, the economy will be fine. And the line that people say is like, well, you pick your 10 people, right? Like uh, you pick your 10 people who you choose to die in your family or whatever. And there's a viral video about that and whatever. Well, we are, right? We're saying, hey, look, we're going to sacrifice these college athletes who have already sacrificed a ton, right? You know, we're going to sacrifice these college athletes to give us college football. And for us to, and for a bar or for a restaurant to make money, we are asking these athletes to do that for us. And with like no exact reward, right? You get the reward of playing football, but you know, there's no monetary compensation. I don't think the, the trickle down economy of Tuscaloosa is going to reach a, you know, a 19 year old backup offensive lineman. So I, I really kind of have those moments of, of unease at that. And again, I, I completely understand, you know, for me, I, I think of, you know, we start going through this and I'm sure you have too, where you start saying, okay, which places can survive this? And that means just, we were talking about that with like the coronavirus. We've obviously had restaurants close and businesses close. Um, we come this back to this idea of, well, what's going to be here? Um, and we don't know. And I think that's an incredibly sad thing. But if, obviously, you know, to me, this pandemic is uncharted territory, obviously. So we have no idea what a landscape is going to look like, you know, in five, six months. Are people going to have the confidence to go do these things, to go to a bar, to go to a restaurant, to go tailgate on the quad, to use catering companies, all of these elements. So I just, you know, I, again, I, I think about that often, but at the same time, I'm like, well, we we're asking so much of students, right? Um, not just student athletes, obviously we're asking a lot of student athletes, but also our students telling them, hey, come back. You know, we don't have an exact plan, but you should come back because, you know, we need the money. And I, that obviously makes me feel very uneasy too, even if my own job wrapped up in this, right? Like, you know, if there's no students, I don't have a job either. But again, I just, I feel very uncomfortable with that kind of concept of, of willing to sacrifice someone else. Well, finally, Brian, how does a lack of college football this fall affect the cultural and economic complexion of Tuscaloosa? Football is in many ways, and this isn't true for everybody, obviously, but in many ways what this place considers its identity. And you're asking people to see the bigger picture when, for a lot of people, football is the big picture. Yeah, no, I know. I think you're right. It's completely wrapped up in this this type of identity with it. And I, you know, if, even with the end of football season, we're all just counting down until next football season. We're always kind of looking at the home schedule. And for me, I think what's difficult is, you know, this is this is how I interact with people. This is how I interact with the community. Obviously, I, in my piece, I joke, I, I skew very liberal leftist, right? Um, but I know my football and I can have a conversation with anybody about college football and I can discuss these things and I can have a good time having a conversation. So it is, it's kind of an interesting medium ground is that you, we have something to talk about. And so I think that's going to be interesting. And I think that's 
something that I'm definitely going to miss. Um, there are times where, you know, like I said, you you make fast friends with people just because you're able to talk about, you know, the game or, or who we're playing or, you know, other other teams. So I think that kind of identity and that camaraderie is going to be really missed. And, you know, even like I said, uh, I think one of the main things we talked about, especially about this coronavirus, the closest thing I can compare it to is the 2011 tornado and obviously in a very different way but it still kind of has that that vibe to it that eerie kind of vibe where you know after the tornado everyone did come together and and kind of this idea of a return to normalcy eventually but one of the biggest returns to normalcy was that first football game and i think for us to not have that kind of touchstone in this community um, which is so centered around football and has obviously gone through a lot as with other communities, you know, because of this virus, to not have that, I think is really harrowing and it's really sad. And I think that that really kind of ties into this idea of denial. I still, I'm picturing, you know, even more so than usual, I'm like reflecting back on tailgating during the LSU game and how wonderful a time I had before the game started, obviously. Uh, but, you know, thinking back to all those particular moments and, and just can't not believing that I'm not going to be able to do that again this year. I'm not going to be able to, to see people that I only see once a year um, who come into town for a game. Or, you know, there are folks that I don't really, you know, see all that often, but I do see them every Saturday. You have your game day friends, right? You have folks that you see every Saturday. You go to their tailgates or, you know, you hear that they're in town, you stop by. And I'm going to miss that. And I think a lot of people are going to miss that kind of, that camaraderie that happens. And so I think... You know, especially since camaraderie, that idea is so wrapped up in Tuscaloosa's identity and coming together through adversity, um, to not have that excuse to do that is, I think, going to be the most devastating part. Brian Oliu, thank you so much and roll tide. Roll tide. Thank you. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email B Flanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.